Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John. And I'm Robin. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research, to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human. We have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations, and we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. This week is a crazy week. We don't have a script. We don't have research um, because stuff hit the fan uh, during our normal research time. So for those of you who are viewing this on YouTube, you'll notice that we have a guest this week. Uh, This is Savannah. Savannah is an incredible woman that I happened to meet through my wife uh, years ago. She is a, uh, a Marine and a, a network engineer and all around just incredible person. So that is as far as I'm going to take the introduction before I end up with my foot in my mouth. If you want to introduce yourself, Savannah. Hi, thank you, John and Robin. Um, uh, my name is Savannah Cannon and I am a network engineer and I am also a U.S. Marine. I was deployed In 2010, I was a U.S. Marine for five years, uh, from 2007 to 2012. And so I was sent over uh, with the first MLG and um, worked with the Afghan people um, directly a few times. So um, back in 2009, President Obama decided to uh, send a surge of troops to Afghanistan to get more boots on ground. Um, and I was part of that initiative. Um, and it was interesting. I read President Obama's book, A Promised Land, and he actually spoke specifically about the surge and how he felt like he did not want to do that. And um, it was it actually soothed my heart a little bit knowing that he he had reasons to to do that troop surge that in that impacted my life and the lives of many others. So that was interesting. If uh, any vets want to read his book and hear from his mouth, why he decided to do that. Awesome. Um, so yeah, that is what we're going to focus on this week. If you have not been paying attention to the world, uh, Afghanistan, <laughs> well, Taliban took over when when we started withdrawing our troops. There is a long and complicated explanation for why that happened, uh, but the short version is they had a lot more influence and regional control than we were expecting, and so when the U.S. presence withdrew, uh, it caused a pretty significant issue with the ability of the Afghan army to do their job for various reasons. 
and uh, the Taliban was able to essentially buy their way right back through the country and pay everybody off. Um, again, it's more nuanced and more complicated than that, but there's my phone. But uh, yeah, so they're they're currently in control at the moment of the, uh, I think they're calling it the Islamic Emirati Emirates, Islam, Islamic Emirates of Afghanistan. And uh, there's a small resistance that's retaken a few districts, and that's where things stand. Um, currently in uh, Kabul, I'm sure most of you are aware that uh, there is a few thousand American troops and American allies that are holding the airport in order to facilitate the evacuation of Americans and special immigrant visa holders and some of our allies from Afghanistan. Uh, Biden has said that he's going to do what it takes to get all Americans out of there. But importantly, he, at least what I heard, he said Americans specifically and didn't mention anything about our allies in that. If, if I missed something, I hope I did, but somebody let us know. Um, and I think I saw today, this morning, he activated civilian air patrol to assist in evacuating so we can ramp up the numbers of people we're able to get out of the country. Again, for a lot of complicated reasons, it, looked like, it looks like there is a deadline of August 31st before the Taliban starts making things harder on us in the country. We're not sure because you just can't be sure with things that they're saying or what they're going to do. Um, so yeah, it is understandably very difficult for a lot of our soldiers and Marines, military personnel who served <laughs> sometimes multiple generations in Afghanistan um, to see this happen. And I nobody, I know, uh, understands that more personally, more deeply than Savannah for multiple reasons. Um, so this is really her story. I'm going to let you tell us what went down this week in Savannah and, and, and why we're having you on the show right now. Um, yes, in 2010, I was sent out with a bunch of other Marines. Pretty boring. Um, I'm not going to lie. We were not doing much. It's a Leatherneck's a huge base, and um, we had everything was pretty safe. Um, but then one day we uh, were asked for some volunteers. And the thing about the Marine Corps is they don't tell you what you're volunteering for. They just ask for <laughs> some volunteers. So um, they were like, it's just to get off Leatherneck and to go do something else. And so I raised my hand and I was like, I am on board. Let me off of this boring base. And so um, what it ended up being was part of uh, the Georgian liaison team. Um, so if you remember, uh, the country of Georgia was invaded by Russia Um like back in 2008 or nine, I believe. Um, and so in order to prove their worth to NATO, they uh, deployed troops to help the war in Afghanistan, but they did not um, know how to speak English. They did not have their own communications gear. So the Marine Corps had given them 
communications gear that they don't know how to operate. And so our job was to be to work this operation or work this communications equipment with um, the Georgians. So we were sent out um, to a different command, um, Regimental Combat Team 2, which is out of based out of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Um, I'm from California, so we were sent from California and um, met up with this completely new unit. And when I landed, um, the CO was like, wait, you're a girl. And I'm like, hmm, I, I am. Yes, uh, my name is Savannah. Like, they get a list of everyone who's coming. There were only, I think, 12 of us who came to help out. And the plan was to send two Marines um, out to each battalion to help out. And so they were going to embed two Marines per battalion. And they're like, we can't send you to the Georgian battalion where no one speaks English and it's just you and one other um, Marine. And so they kept me at um, Regimental Combat Team 2 in uh, Delaram, which is in the Nimroz province. And so my time in Delaram was um, spent doing a bunch of communication stuff. Um, and I ended up getting sent out with what was called the police mentoring team, um, PMT. They, uh, they're the Warhawks. That's their name that they have. They were a mix of grunts. So 0311s and, uh, military police. And, um, they were from, some were from Cherry Point, North Carolina, and some were from Camp Lejeune. And there was about, I think, 15 tops of them inside of a tiny little, building inside the town of Delaram and um, their job was to train the Afghan police. And so I would go out there and help them out and do patrols with them. And the time out there was um, intense and some stuff happened, but um, we had an interpreter there and he would help us out. He was the one who got us food and like from inside the town and, you know, he, worked next to us 24 hours a day and um, really helped us out. I mean, he is the the reason we were able to communicate with the locals and because, you know, we don't know Pashto or Farsi or Dari. Or, we don't know any of that. We know very little. And so um, inside of this tiny little compound inside the the city of Delaram, it we were sharing a house with um, – I don't remember who exactly it was. I think it was a, a general in the Afghan National Army. And so the house is split into two and half was for the Marines and then half was for the Afghan um, army. And so they worked next to them and I met a few people. And one of the I distinctly remember being introduced to um, one of the Afghan officers and he tried to crush my hand when he shook it. And so I had to act like I was perfectly fine where I was really not okay. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a very interesting experience because, um, I mean, mostly the Afghan, um, community does not mix between male and female. Like you're not supposed to, if you are not a woman in that male's family, you're not going to be spoken to. So it's very hard to communicate with, um, the people. So our interpreter was, you know, very important to communicating with everyone. Um, and so he was great. I know the, the guys in the police mentoring team, the Warhawks were, you know, they entrusted him with their lives. Cause I mean, if they don't speak the language, they have to trust that this interpreter is, you know, towing the line between his own countrymen and these Americans who are, um, he's working next to. And so being that, 
that strong of a bond and that important of a connection with the people is just, it is a, must be an extremely difficult job to have. So I can only imagine that. Um, but yes, yeah, so, um, I lost touch with, uh, the translator for, um, of quite a few years. Uh, when I started writing my book about Afghanistan, he, um, had actually reached out to, um, sync up with me on Facebook, but I had declined his Facebook invite, um, because of a few reasons. My current job is difficult to work with other foreign nationals and it can put my clearance at stake. So, um, I declined it and I really regret that because I feel like we couldn't, we missed out on quite a few years of being able to talk and catch up. But, um, when I was in Afghanistan and I was talking to him about everything and I remember him talking about how Afghanistan used to be so beautiful and it used to be so um, much loved and it was great to travel in. And, and I'm looking around at the desert and I'm like, I don't know, man, this place is a shithole. <laughs> and he was like, no, it was really beautiful. And I'm like, no, I mean, like, I don't think you understand what it's like in other places. And he's like, I went to college in Florida. And I'm like, oh, oh. I'm... <laughs> I was just this dumb 20 year old girl that knew nothing about foreign politics or anything. And I was just probably the biggest idiot because this man clearly knew a lot more and I needed to be willing to listen to him. (laughs) Anyway, yes, he talked about how amazing the cities of Afghanistan used to be and just about how they had been destroyed over the years. And it's no longer a beautiful and safe place that it used to be. And so it's hard for his family to see that. But, um, so when Afghanistan started falling, um, I started getting the news, what, like about 10 days ago on Friday and just hearing that it was happening and hearing the waves going through the, the veteran community of like, oh, this is, what did we do this all for? What was this for? If it's, if it's just getting handed over in so little amount of time. But, um, when Kabul fell on Sunday, um, I, I know I personally kind of like shut down. I was not okay. Um, I wasn't like, I wasn't talking to many people. Um, the thing about the veteran community, like once you go on these deployments and you experience these horrible things with other people, you don't need to talk to each other every single day to have this bond of, I'm going to be there for you when you um, call. Uh, you can go a year without talking and it's, you can pick back up again, like everything's fine. But so yeah, things were starting to fall apart and I realized that I was not okay and um I couldn't go on any news channel. I couldn't be on the internet at all because things were people were sending me stuff um which is both a good thing and, you know, a horrible thing because I I appreciate the fact that they are seeing what's going on in Afghanistan, but you know, they're just, it was constantly getting in my face. And so I was, I told Facebook like, Hey, I'm, I'm out for a little bit. I'm not handling this very well. And so when the guys I had deployed with saw that they all reached out to me and they were like, Hey, this is like, no one's really having a good time of it right now. And like, you see these men who have done things that are, you know, the name of freedom and democracy and mainly for their brothers and sisters next to them. They, it's not about the foreign policy when they're in Afghanistan. It's about protecting the people to the left and right of them. So you see these people and they're so strong and they're so, you know, dedicated to what they do. And then we come back here and we don't really have necessarily a purpose. And then all of a sudden see that everything that we had put ourselves through was kind of for nothing. Um, 
everyone kind of fell apart. And so everyone was syncing up on group chats, like, Hey, reaching out, talking about stuff, reconnecting again, like telling all war stories, like, <laughs> like everyone does, um, you know, just making sure reassuring each other that like there was, you know, we did maybe some good stuff, you know, it was kind of like uncertain about whether what we did was good or bad, but, um, then, I went to work on Monday and, um, everyone in the office was completely silent, which is very unusual for them. They're very talkative, but they were not talking about Afghanistan, which I was thankful for because I, I came in all red eyed and everything swollen. <laughs> and, um, then I, like an idiot, I went to go Google something and I saw that the, there were bodies falling from the planes, which, I, all I said was I looked around at the office and I said, the planes and everyone's like, yeah, well, we didn't want to tell you. And um, my best friend had said the same thing. She is in the army right now and they had a whole formation and being brought in like, you know, who's been to Afghanistan, who's experiencing stuff right now. Um, you know, we're here for you. And then they had announced the bodies were falling from the plane. And so my best friend knew and she was specifically not telling me because <laughs> she was like, I know you're not okay. And I'm like, yeah, why? Like, I, I'm glad people weren't telling me, but to find it out on my own was not great either. But that was probably the most horrific imagery, which is just like, I, what did I say? It was like um, a horrible poetic bookend to the people jumping out of the world trade center towers. Like those are just bookends to this war that started with the world trade center. Well, I mean, I'm sure it started way before that with, you know, more, politics and stuff like that. But to the American public, it started with the World Trade Center falling. And, you know, there we have people who are so desperate to leave Afghanistan that they are going to cling to planes and knowing that they're going to fall because you know you're not going to make that. So when I saw that, I said, you know, it's not those that's the most horrific imagery I think I could have possibly seen. Um, and but it also, as bad as that is, it makes me feel a little bit better knowing that what the Americans did there, at least for 20 years, we might have bought some time for some people. Some people got education that they wouldn't have before. Maybe they got a taste of the culture that made them want more for themselves. Maybe I, you know, but we were clearly holding something back that terrified some people enough to hold on to jets. So that's as horrific as that imagery was, I felt like it made me feel a little bit better about everything that had taken place over the last 20 years, which is, I know a terrible thing to say because that's just horrible. But um, because the people who are in Afghanistan right now that are at the Kabul airport trying to leave, they're the ones who helped us like my interpreter. Um, and he connected with me again on Facebook this last week. He is still um, in Kabul at the airport helping the Marines. Um, and he is the interpreters that are there right now. If they are caught by the Taliban, if they're caught by any sort of um, informant, they uh, and they're found with IDs from the American government, they are being tortured. Um, I saw how the Taliban tortured people when I was deployed. So, I know firsthand what they can do. Um, and it is not, I don't know, like the, 
I say the kids these days, I'm not that old, but like the kids these days, I don't know if they remember in the, like the 2000s seeing the beheading videos. Y'all, y'all remember that, right? Like yeah. we don't see that so much anymore. And I'm like, I think we're going to start seeing that again. You know, that's, that was the world back in 2000 and, you know, four and five and just seeing these people being beheaded um, to prove a point. Um, yeah. But the, the torture that happens is way worse than that. Um, the one account that I have heard in the past couple of days was um, an interpreter who was found with his DOD ID on him and they melted it into his chest and then um, tore off his arms while he was still alive. Um, and that is, that's the fate of the people who helped the American government and the American military while they were there. The people who helped us, who gave us food, who made sure that we wouldn't step on an IED that they knew had been planted somewhere. They were, they were towing the line between their own countrymen and saving us. And yeah, they, um, they're now there in Afghanistan trying to leave and they can't because the gates are closed and people are not able to leave on these airplanes. So I feel like speaking for the veteran community, like, and mainly myself, the fact that we are, we were, we relied on these people and then we didn't have a plan to get them out. Like ending the war, the war aside, like whether you believe the war should have been ended or continued, if we were ending it and then we were going to pull out, like how could we leave the people who helped us live for two decades? Like that is, that isn't what America should be. This is the biggest faux pas of America's like, foreign policy and it's going to radicalize so many different people. Like how could you leave these people here who risk their lives where now um, there are people on Facebook who are messaging me, asking me help, please help get my interpreter who is still in Afghanistan. Please help him get to the gates. And um, my interpreter who's on the ground is like, there are thousands of people here. We can't get anyone out. He's like, let me know their phone number and I'll try and so he tried to get them out, but they can't, they can't get them through. My interpreter is behind the walls, um, with the Marines still. And, um, there are just thousands of people in trying to get through holding up their, their paperwork, the same paperwork that if the Taliban finds them with it, they're going to kill them. So you have this paperwork that is your ticket to freedom. That is also your ticket to death. And so you're sitting there holding something that is, you know, either, yeah either going to kill you or save you. So what do you do? Like if you are outside that gate, if you're sitting there begging the Americans to let you through, do you destroy that ID so you don't get your arms torn off? Or do you hold on to it and just hope and pray that someone lets you through? And what, there's how many more days? Nine more days? So where this weekend came into play, um, is that my interpreter on Thursday night said, my family is coming to America. Can you meet them? And so that was essentially it. Um, that was all the information that I uh, really got. And so I jumped into action and started calling people and um, I knew they were landing in DC. Um, for a while there, I thought it was Washington state. And so there was some scrambling um, with some people in Seattle for a bit. So, um, but yeah, my, I put out like a thing, someone please help. And I had responses from 
Marines, civilians, everyone within like seven minutes, I had people swarming me like, what do we need to do to help? Which makes me feel so good. <laughs> like the number of people who answered the call. Um, and I knew John doesn't sleep. So um, I called him because he's in DC and um, asked him, please help. I, these people are landing in eight hours. Um, it's a very large family. So I don't have any information. Please help me out. And so we um, got him an Airbnb because like, I know everyone's like, well, there are organizations that are helping, but I mean, these organizations were not prepared for this mass exodus of people. They are overwhelmed. They are, you know, they have not much of anything. And so these families are coming in, um, not just my interpreters, but these families are coming in and they were just put on a plane and with nothing and told, you know, just go and leave because we need to we have a lot more other people coming in and they don't have all of their paperwork. They don't have um, whether they have expired passports or they have um, special immigrant visas that have been expired or maybe they put in the application or like some of the people in this family that we helped this weekend. Um, they had put in the application for the special immigrant visas, you know, months and months ago, but then the embassy closed down and their the embassy shredded all the paperwork. So now there's no there's no record of anything unless these people had it on their hands. And so there were people on the ground in Afghanistan who were trying desperately to scan like um paperwork for people and upload it to the cloud so like they aren't having it on their person, but it's somewhere out there so it'll be easily accessible later because yeah, the American embassy closed down and shredded everything and stopped processing paperwork probably I would say about a month ago. So even before this started shutting down, they lost their ability to get this stuff. So yeah. um, I'm not going to say a lot about the family in particular, like the special things, but yeah, there's some people have IDs, some people have expired passports, some people have expired visas. And so they're here and they get processed through immigration and um, yeah, it's just, the logistics of getting people through immigration and finding them what's next, you know, like where do they live now? What, how do they get official paperwork? How do they get, um, you know, jobs in longer term, like, um, healthcare. <laughs> yeah. yeah healthcare for Christ's sakes. So my interpreter's wife, um, is about 40 weeks pregnant. And so she fled Afghanistan 40 weeks pregnant. And, um, so she landed and, I mean, right now we're trying to figure out how to get her to have give birth um, relatively quickly <laughs> because we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, we have so many people jumping through many hoops, both language and cultural. And, I mean, there's people all over um, trying to get a, her registered into the birthing center in D.C. and stuff like that. So it's just making sure that she is taken care of. Um, because my interpreter cannot do that right now. He, um, he's risked his life and he's still risking his life. Um, and it's just, it's, I don't know. That's, that was a very long <laughs> monologue, but there you go. <laughs> I think that covered many of, many of the aspects that we brought you on yeah. to talk about. Yeah. I mean, this, this family, I just, I feel for them for, getting yanked out of their homes with, you know, n no notice, not having anything. And I mean, I being pregnant and traveling, I mean, you're not even supposed to fly when you're that pregnant and it's just yeah. getting yourself out and landed. And yeah, but there are, um, 
people there as church, there's a church that we are um, working with uh, directly inside of DC that is um, really stepping up. Oh yeah. They have been all over it, delivering food. They've been working on getting longer term housing. Um, and like, there's a, a Marine that I know through a Marine that, <laughs> that, um, went and like helped register, um, the, my interpreter's wife at the birthing center and hooked him up on Wi-Fi because, you know, you land at these houses that have like, Oh, just, this is how you set up Wi-Fi, but that's all in English, which they, um, can speak some English, but not enough to, you know, navigate, Wi-Fi instructions, you know, so Mm -hmm. having someone there that can help them out and make sure that everything is going pretty well. And yeah, it's, um, it's a logistical interest. It's very interesting. And like John was at the airport for 12 hours on Friday waiting for them. And I mean, thank you so much, John, for that. It was (laughs) okay. All I did was sit at an airport, but yeah. Right. But yeah, they like having all sorts of people jump to sit there and knowing that you were on the ground because I'm all the way in San Diego. So I, I couldn't do much of anything. And so I'm trying to talk to my interpreter who hasn't heard from his family in days and like saying, hey, they've landed. They're safe. They're good. Like, you know, he's over there trying to deal with everything at the airport and he's worried about his family. And so I'm just yeah. like, it's OK. We've got it. Like we will take care of them. And yeah. so he's he's overwhelmed that like we treated them like our own family. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course, like (laughs) everything that you did for us, like, why wouldn't we do this? Yeah. And, um, the guys and the police mentoring team that I was with, they are like, oh my God, this is amazing that you're able to do all this. And I'm just like, this is, I, because of my current job, I'm pretty good at coordinating between multiple different people. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very niche project. So I think that was helpful, but yeah, it's, it's been great. And horrifying. Right. Hey, Robin, you're here too. <laughs> hey, I am. It's good. It's good. I'm just, I'm just listening. I am, I am the representative for the average Joe American who has no deep background on this except, um, what I have been able to drum up this week just from different resources and, and all of that. And, um, I'm just, I'm just the average person over here who is very, very angry but has no idea who we should be angry at. Um, that's kind of the summary of my feelings here is that I'm absolutely livid that we can't allow these things to take place. Um, but I have no idea who I'm supposed to be angry at. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who are going to be feeling the same way. And so I think at the same time that we're seeing all of these horrible things happen, this is just another thing that's going to serve to polarize people um, on either side of the situation because none of us who hasn't lived it, hasn't been there, hasn't been a part of the policy decisions or discussions has any idea how we got here. Yeah. It just looks like suddenly we ended up here. Yeah. I know uh, it, there's a sh- strong desire to blame Biden. There's a strong desire to blame Trump, but the reality yeah. is it's been bu- happening it's, since since Bush. Bush. Right. Bush. Bush sent us right. there. Bush got us involved there. Was it the right thing to do? At the time, we all thought it was. It was wildly popular to go get our vengeance. Like, right. Right. And and the reality that this, the groundwork for what happened in this last week was set 42 years ago. Like there are generations of Americans 
myself included, who don't even have that context to add to all of this. And so it just feels overwhelming. And for, for someone who has no context, and then you add in the layers of there are people who actually were there and part of it and experiencing it. And, and you guys have probably tenfold the feelings that the rest of us have. And it just feels like such a mess that I'm so glad that you were able to come and share part of your story with us because that gives the rest of us some context that we might not otherwise have for who these people are that are clinging for dear life to airplanes as they take off. Who are these people? There's so many of us who don't even know what that means. So... I saw some complaints about the C-130 pictures of people being evacuated and why they're all men. Like, why aren't we getting the women and children? Um, and I'm like, yeah, you guys don't understand. Those are the people who were helping. Those are our interpreters. Those are the people who yeah. were working logistics on these bases. They were our our friends and our confidants, and they were the people who were close to us. While I completely understand the women and children, my God, the videos of the babies being passed forward, like, and I'm sure as you know, as a mother, like, I can't imagine passing my child forward. Um, Yeah, I I purposely stay very far away from that kind of stuff because I I can't, I can't process that that kind of thing. To know that, like, you're not going to see that baby again, um, but hoping that someone's going to take care of it, like, that is horrible um but there's a good picture of a marine from um i think it's 24th marines they um 24th mew they were <laughs> he's holding a baby an infant and he's just smiling and it he's you know. so good <laughs> i mean the marines are sitting there and they're pulling babies up over the wall just trying to get them out and like it's just i mean marines are known as being well crazy Crazy and like, <laughs> in the best way. In the best, there was way. Thanksgiving um, where my Peace Corps sisters said, "You guys just kill babies." So like we are known as baby killers and all this kind of stuff. So see, and I'm like, you guys don't understand the half of it. Like we do humanitarian work all the time in Mm -hmm. multiple, like if there's a crisis, like uh, Haiti, for example, like Marines are heading there to Haiti now to help clean up again. And we've had Marines the last time that there was um, a problem there. So we're always right there. We are, we are the like fastest deployable units. Um, We get in there, we do whatever people tell us. <laughs> that's what that's what makes us so good. But yes, so we do have people helping, um, and, and that's that, heartwarming. Also, sorry, John. No, no, I don't want to step on what you're saying. I want to highlight that is. I mean, that's again one of the reasons this podcast exists. Is there's there is nuance in everything, and yeah, um, we don't want to get into the habit of putting anybody in a box, right? We don't want to be. We don't want to to support the idea that our soldiers, our Marines, are baby killers, um, because the fact of the matter is, for all of the horrible stuff that for all the missteps that the U.S. military does make, and nobody's going to pretend like we're perfect, there are a million things that never make the news uh, yeah. every day. You know, of of our our military personnel going above and beyond for the people around them for the countries that we're in. Um, so 
yeah, if you're listening to this and you're, you're happen to believe that, that the military is bad or whatnot, it, like rethink that it's not, look, we might be dumb, but we are not. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I can definitely vouch for some of the smartest people I know being United States Marines. So yeah, there's um, a good phrase that um, has been highlighted recently. Also um, no greater friend, no worse enemy. And that is, that is the United States Marine. Like we'll, we'll answer the call in the middle of the night and we'll also, we'll go bury bodies with you. That's like, <laughs> we are ride or die people. So. That's, that's what you're trained to ride do. Or die. <laughs> yeah. It's literally the thing. You know, it's interesting uh, about the policy that Robin was saying like 40 years ago. Um, and yeah, I'm going to plug my book now. Um, so yeah. I wrote a book about my time in Afghanistan um, that is a unique perspective and not to toot my own horn, but there has not been another book like this written. So um, look out it's for true. it. I've read um, it. Title, <laughs> title to be determined. <laughs> I, think, I think we have a, we've settled on one, but it's um, set to be published uh, next spring so um that's like relatively new news right yeah publication date i got the contract i haven't signed it so i'm not supposed to be announcing it but like you should (laughs) sign that savannah for 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 people this is not i mean not exactly on topic but savannah's been working on this books for years years now like five six years more yeah, about, about five. Yeah. The, and I used it as a way to process my trauma for what happened in Afghanistan. And there was a lot going on, um, both personally and then combat wise. It's just, there's a lot in the book. So, yeah. um, it's, yeah. a, it, it's, I, I would say it's a gut punch, but it's more like a Muhammad Ali meets your gut repeatedly. Uh, <laughs> it, I don't, don't make that face, Savannah. It's, Hard. It's uh it's a, a Thank com- you. I lived it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a compelling read. It's incredibly written. I can't believe that you, the person I know, lived through the stuff in that book. I mean I can't, but it's it's I am very excited and very um happy for you that it's finally being published. Um but it also is why I think you're so one of the people I want to talk to most about what's going on here is because of the, the story that you tell in that book is it's like a microcosm of 20 years of, of presence in that country. And right. um, And my story is not like I say in the book, my story is not representative of everyone's story at all. And I do not want to say that my story is, you know, the, typical marine or female marine or any yeah person so but the one of the parts of the book and thank you john for that um (laughs) review i appreciate that no it's a good Um, book i wouldn't i mean i'm not blowing smoke i loved it i read it in like a day (laughs) um the there's a portion in there where you know, I, I was 20 when I went and I had grown up in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. And so I am all of a sudden, my first country that I've been in that wasn't America is, well, there was Kajorgistan, but then um, Afghanistan, Kajorgistan for like a week while we're getting transported. But I'm in Afghanistan and I'm, you know, looking around and I'm staring death in the face, essentially. And I'm talking to people who are there and 
and um, they're talking about the Russians. And I'm like, what the fuck do the Russians have to do with this? Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm like, I don't, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, we're, the Russians were here in the eighties. I'm like, huh? I'm <laughs> <laughs> just like, what are you talking about? Cause like I, they didn't teach this stuff in school. So right. here I am fighting a war that I knew nothing about. And I'm yeah. just like, I mean, all right, I'll, I'll be here. And so where we were in said the Nimrods province, the, um, the locals were very much anti-American. Um, they were, they liked the Taliban because the Taliban freed them from the Russians. So they are, they were anti-American because they just saw the Americans like the Russians were. Yeah. And so they liked the Taliban. The Taliban were the, their saviors. And so all of a sudden the Americans come in and they're pulling the same stuff the Russians did. And yeah, I mean, the people who suffer are the locals. So they were, yeah. yeah. So that's part of the book too, where I'm just like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything about Afghanistan clearly because my interpreter at the school in America. So anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And that's something I've been seeing a lot of that I, I would really like to dispel right here is that the Taliban taking over is what Afghan and Af- the Afghanis want. They, they want the Taliban to be in charge. That's not true. No, the it's, Taliban's popularity is like 13% across the country. Right no, now. they rule by terror. Exactly. They do. Yeah. Um, but I can speak for the village that we were in, uh, Delaram. They were very much, they were probably that 13% holding out. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's more from my perspective and understanding the stuff that I get to see. It's, it, as one might expect, it's more common the farther away you get from centralized government structure. Right. And, that's because there was nobody else to handle the problems in some of these yeah. more remote locations. You got on WhatsApp, you hit up your local Taliban hotline and said, Hey, I've got this problem, um, with so and so, you know, they're, they've not paid me for something that I was supposed to be paid for, or these, these people are fighting, you know, consistently over here. And the Taliban were the law enforcement. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that's not an exaggeration The the hotline was on WhatsApp, you know, and, and, um, it's that the, they were popular because at least even though they rule with an, an iron fist, not to use a cliche, but at least they ruled, at least there was somebody to impose order. And when it's impose order or desperately scrabble for survival you're going to go for impose that order um now as you got closer into the cities uh more populous areas uh more governmental structures or public structures that can handle um these things then uh things got the taliban got less popular and i think the ultimate uh benefit that we're going to see from these 20 years. I don't think it was for nothing. I think we are going to see that there are, there's a whole generation or two, depending on how you split it, that was born in a free Afghanistan. And they don't know Taliban rule and they're going to get a taste of it now. And I don't think the Taliban is going to have as easy of a time ruling as they did in the nineties, um, unless they, they really, really, really change an, a, a considerable amount of their practices, which I think is what they're trying to portray that they have done. 
with their their charm offensive right now. I think that's why we're seeing all of this like, you know, no, we're going to allow education for women. We're going to allow children to go to school. We're going to allow these things as long as it meets, um, you know, the, the 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 laws of Islam that we believe in. Um, but I think we'll. I'm afraid that we're going to see that slowly mutate into something less uh, as moderate as what we're seeing now. I think it is going to be the uh, a bait and switch. That's what I'm afraid of anyway. I'm not I'm not seeing a lot of uh stuff in the background that doesn't make the news that uh is encouraging to me. The story of your of that interpreter that got their ID burned into them being one of the many, many things that make me go, this is, this is not a new and improved Taliban. Yeah. So, but I think, I think they'll meet more resistance than they did. And I just hope the people who are on the ground get through and get taken care of and we are able to take care of the people who took her, took care of us. Right. Which all of this to say, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah. There are ways for you to help. There are organizations that you can, um, refugee organizations, they are swamped right now. They are swamped right now. Um, they need anything from supplies to people to drive to interpreters to cash. If, if you can only donate, find some place to donate to. But none of us are helpless in this moment. Right. Everybody can help. Everybody can do something. The Red Cross, if they're on this, if you want to, if you can find no other organization to donate to or to help out, go to the Red Cross, ask what they need. Um, Currently, GoFundMe is flagging every um, campaign for Afghanistan. So uh, the GoFundMe we had tried to set up two days ago is still actually um, in under review. So if people want to help out my interpreter's family directly, um, we are taking um, Venmo to myself. My um, Venmo is... Savannah Tech Canon One. Um, I'm doing a backflip in the photo and I'm collecting all that until the GoFundMe happens. And in the meantime, using those funds to um, help out the family as they are here and getting um, care and assistance. So, yeah, I know already the, 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 we've had them since we got the call while they were in the air Thursday night. Um, so since they landed Friday morning, it's cost nearly $3,000 just to, to get them lodging to get them food to get them um safety while we while we find more permanent solutions um so there's a luckily a whole team working on this i think if anybody needed some uh if anybody needed a dopamine hit for um whether or not america could still be united that's the silver lining i'm finding here is yeah. Bunch of people coming together without any question that are like, no, we have to help these people. Let's do it and do it. Yeah. There was, um, there was one campaign by a, a guy who has an Instagram meme account and he managed to raise something like $6 million, mm-hmm. um, in well, a very short and- amount of time to, to continue doing this. Americans, uh, most of us want, we want to fix it. That's about all we wanted to talk about. We could talk about. This subject, we could talk about your story, Savannah. We could talk about everything that's going on and the politics around this for hours, honestly. But 
we don't have time <laughs> and uh, we all have, we have stuff to do. We still have to find some housing. So if you would like to donate, we're going to put Savannah's uh, information in the show notes so you can send some money directly to her. Uh, whenever the uh, GoFundMe is up, uh, we will update our show notes, show notes with that information. So it, uh, actually goes to something you can feel a little more comfortable with. I know sending money directly to somebody you don't know can always be a little, uh, stressful. So, um, you can find this, you can find that information, our show notes, everything on uh, our website, firesidebreakdowns.com. Uh, we won't have a transcript for this particular episode out um, because we didn't write one. And uh, we should have, I think we're going to put this video on YouTube, so there will at least be closed captioning on that if you would like to read along. Um, it's it's pretty raw on YouTube. It doesn't have a whole bunch of editing or anything in it um, because I frankly don't have time to do video editing on top of research, on top of recording, on top of editing the podcast. So there's some gaps in there where we're just staring at each other and uh that's it <laughs> um so savannah thank you so much for being on the pod this week and telling your story um the good news this week is that like like we mentioned earlier people are coming together um in this awful horrible time in this trying time um americans of all stripes are coming together because I think we can all agree that these people who helped us, these people who were born into a country that they, that was free as far as they knew, um, some of them, you know, they don't deserve to be abandoned. And you can be mad at whoever you want to be mad at about that. And I think just about everybody's got some justification for whoever they want to be mad at. Um, but don't let anger be your action. Anger is a feeling. You need to do something about that anger. So find some place to volunteer. So find some place to give some money or just help somebody when they call you. Uh, we will be back next week to finish up the discussion on um, uh, Cooper's epic thread about uh, why people think the election was stolen. Um, talking about some of the uh, election law changes, constitutionality, that sort of thing. So until next week, thank you so much. Remember, the world is only as dark as you allow it to be. Go out there and make some light. And until next week, take care of each other. Bye.